Hey everybody, how are you all doing? Renfrey Deadman here from Riot Act Podcast and welcome to the first in what we hope will become a regular series of special editions of the podcast. We're using these specials as a means of going into a bit more detail on bands you love, some bands you might not be as familiar with. We're going to do some lists here because everyone likes a list, don't they? We'll be talking to labels, dissecting albums, doing retrospectives on bands' entire discographies. We've got all sorts of ideas and it's just a means of going into stuff that we don't have the time to go into as much in as much detail on the regular weekly show. We did one of these a few weeks ago, way back on episode seven, where we dissected Jeff Buckley's career. And I had a lot of fun whiffling on about why I think old Jeff Buckles is absolutely ace. We're hoping to do these specials on a semi-regular basis. The idea is to get one out to you every couple of weeks. And this first uh, official special, I suppose, is on Roadburn Festival, a hugely prestigious festival, which I feel like most of you will have at least heard of, but many of you might not have actually been. I've been two years in a row. It's a very difficult festival to get a grasp on, especially if you've never been. So in this hour and a half conversation, I sat down with Becky Laverty, whose official title is Press and Communications at Roadburn, but really over the years she's become second in command of sorts to Walter Hoagemakers, who started the festival way back in 1999 as a spin-off from the Roadburn Music blog. And we try to hone in on exactly what it is about Roadburn that makes it so unique. It originally focused on stoner and doom, but it's really broadened out over the years into something really varied and a significant event for anybody who's into heavy avant-garde experimental music. This year's bill is no exception, uh, with a lineup already looking pretty damn spectacular, I must say. This year's curator is Thomas Lindbergh, who will be playing uh, with his band At The Gates. The artist in resident this year is Thou, who will be playing four sets across the weekend, I believe some of which sound very cool, but I've been sworn to secrecy and I can't tell you anything about them just yet. But believe me, they are mega exciting. We've got Sleep playing two sets. They're playing Holy Mountain and The Sciences in full. Holy Raw, who are probably the best record label of the year for my money. They're taking over a stage on the Friday that will feature Pine, Conjurer, Secret Cutter, Svalbard and A.A. Williams, who you will be hearing a lot more from on Riot Act because holy god damn her debut EP is amazing. There are specially commissioned music for Roadburn. What other festival features specially commissioned music? You don't see Arctic Monkeys doing writing a piece specially for Reading Festival or anything like that. Uh, the specially commissioned music at Roadburn this year is Celtic Frost and Triptychon doing a Requiem, which will be essential for any Tom G. Warrior fans. Merkel will be showing off her more folksy side with Folk Sange. Highlung will be celebrating the release of their second album, Mono. will be performing with the Joe Quayle Quartet, which I imagine will be beautiful. And on top of all that, you've got sets from Anna Von Hauswolf, Henrik Palm, Old Man Gloom, Caven, yes, Birds in Row, Imperial Triumphant, Daughters are coming back to Europe for the first time in many years, I think it's about nine years, Bosk are playing their phenomenal debut album, Audio Noir in Full, Drab Majesty, Gold, Louise Lemon, the brilliantly titled Orchestra of Constant Distress. Who doesn't want to see a band called Orchestra of Constant Distress? Probably a lot of people, but let's not go into that right now. Ulcerate, Wolvenness. You know what? You lot have the internet. You wouldn't be listening to this if you didn't have the internet. So how about you go and check on the website, roadburn.com now, and maybe have a little flick through the site whilst listening to myself and Becky Whiffle on about all things Roadburn. 
If you have any suggestions for future specials, please feel free to hit us up on Twitter at riotact underscore podcast or find us on Facebook. These specials are going to be coming to you absolutely free out of the kindness of our hearts because we are not capitalist scum. But if you're going to feel extraordinary levels of guilt for receiving even more audio pleasure from your Riot Act chums or if you have some spare change weighing you down and you simply feel the need to throw that spare change at uh, a couple of budding music journalists in an electronic form, you can do that um, at patreon.com slash riotactpodcast. And whilst you're at it, why not check out our buds at musicism.net, where you can find online tutorials to become an extraordinary singer, guitarist or producer for the minuscule sum of nine ninety nine a month. Although between you and me, I hear rumours that if you type riot in capital letters as a code at the checkout you can receive 25% off but don't tell anybody that I told you that we don't want the guys at Musicism cottoning on to what we're doing fuck the system anyway that's more than enough pre-waffle from me here's my conversation with the queen of Roadburn herself Miss Becky Laverty Welcome to a very special edition of Riot Act podcast. Uh, we are talking all things Roadburn Festival. Mm. And I have uh, I have the queen of Roadburn with me here. Is that that's your official title now, is it, Becky? Well, on the fa- basically the first day I started at Roadburn, mm. we did have a conversation what my job title would be. Yeah. And uh, I was suggesting princess <laughs> and they were like, no. So my official job title is press and communications, but the key to that is communications because that's basically anything that anybody wants me to do because everything's communication, isn't it? <laughs> so I kind of get given all kinds of strange jobs and it's just it's communication. Okay. Um, well, we can go with Princess of Roadburn if you, if you would like. Okay. I so the like prin- queen, maybe. The, okay. The queen of Roadburn. Uh, Graduate. Becky Laverty. That's how are me. you? I'm good. Thank you. Good. It's really lovely to see you. We were just talking. We've been talking for a long time about all sorts of whiffle. Uh, it's been a while since we've seen each other. I think it was Roadburn. I think actually. it was. Really, I want to get an idea today of um, what you do and how you got involved with the festival and so on and so forth. So, first of all, Really, I just want to ask you how you found out about Roadburn as a fan, because you were a fan first and foremost, yeah. weren't you? Um, I don't really remember when I first heard about Roadburn, but I was aware of it for several years before I ever went. Mm. Um, and I had friends that had gone and talked about it as if it was the best thing in the world. And I don't know, it always felt quite far away until I actually went for the first time. I, d- I mean, I'd been to Hellfest um, and maybe one or two other festivals abroad, but it felt far away. I don't know mm, if that's mm. a weird thing to say, but... Um, it fe- there's something about it which feels unattainable until you get there. Yeah, and I, I also think it's just something about foreign festivals. Until you've been to one, mm. you don't kind of mm. realise how actually it's not actually that difficult it's to get there and there. so on. So it felt physically far away, like geographically far away, but it did also feel like... Um, maybe somehow out of my reach it used to sell out on the day that it went on sale Mm -hmm. so it was kind of a mythical thing um and so i was conscious of it but it wasn't until um a friend of mine was playing and i went for one day that was my first time i Ah, went which is in 2012 oh cool and um voivod were the curators then and nakmistium played and i think yob played um, so I went for one day and in some ways 
I mean, I wouldn't recommend someone go for one day now. I'd be like, come for the whole thing. But in some <laughs> ways it was quite good because like, I think that it, it is very different to other festivals, which I'm sure we'll talk about shortly. But it was kind of like a taster of it. Mm. And I did go, oh, I wish I was going back for a second day mm. and I wanted to go back. And I did go back the next year. Um, so I attended for one day, um, 2012, and I think 2013 and 2014, I went as a fan mm-hmm. um, while I was working um, for record labels. So I was doing publicity for some bands that were playing, but um, I wasn't involved with the festival beyond that. And then um, 2015 was my first year working for them. So as a punter, mm-hmm. what made it different to um, the other festivals that you had been to? It's a really inexplicable vibe of the festival it's something to do with the um i was wondering when the v word would come up vibe. In <laughs> um, well it, it's the inexplicable bit which i think is more frustrating because kind of part of my job i guess is to talk about roadburn and yeah. tell everyone why it's so great yeah but my best advice is you kind of have to come to understand it yeah. and a friend of mine um a photographer mark who also well he's a designer as well he does some of our posters for roadburn now he came for the first time this year and um, he'd been there sort of half an hour and he turned up at, I don't know, seven o'clock at night when it was busy, like the streets were full of people. And uh, he was a little bit overwhelmed like by everything going on. He was walking into a fully fledged festival and I saw him another, like an hour or two later and he just said, everyone's so friendly. <laughs> and it's just like, it's not like other festivals, like people w- actively want to have a good time and want other people around them to have a good time. And it's yeah. like, just a different sort of um experience like it's i don't know okay so let's try and break it down so it's an indoor festival yeah uh, that takes place across uh it's five venues now isn't it oh it's yeah the footprint of it like geographically has changed a little bit over the last couple of years but the center of it is the 013 venue Mm -hmm. in tilburg Mm -hmm. which um has a 3000 capacity main room Mm -hmm. and then the green room which is just next door to it which is about 700 capacity Mm -hmm. so the 013 is a big part of roadburn um and it's then like a huge black box basically that makes it sound ominous um uh, it's really imposing when you first i remember you know, when i first walked in i was like to the <gasps> main room yeah to the main room i was like i mean it's brilliant but but it's it's a wonderful space mm. but it is just it's just this huge i mean it is quite ominous but in yeah. a cool way it's a wicked um, venue because you've got you've got the standing area at the front and then um there are steps up so you can just kind of chill out if you want to there's quite a few bands at roadburn where i remember seeing godspeed last yeah. last year uh and i just sort of wanted to sit down and i just sat down in awe just like, <gasps> like well the, the 013 was actually renovated a couple of years ago ah. and um which actually increased the capacity of that main room oh, it's right. just over three thousand now but it was basically they increased the capacity by about a thousand okay um the room before was still impressive but um now like like you're describing that you can basically stand anywhere in the room and you have a good view yes including the balcony there's like two really small blind spots on the balcony where like Mm. if there was somebody stood in front of you you wouldn't be able to see Mm. but the rest of it is so well designed like you can see from anywhere it's a great room it's a really good room (coughs) and then you've got then you've got uh uh am i am i pronouncing that right yeah yeah. which is across the street which is a converted church mm. and it is the venue that the most bands want to play yeah um yeah. we had to convince converge that it wasn't a good idea for them to play there 
Oh um, no. Yeah. Um, um, because it would have got too raucous. Well, we couldn't have had them. Basically, last year when we were talking to Converge about uh, playing, we had Jacob Bannon curating last year and we were inviting Converge back. And um, we basically said, what would you like to do like for a yeah. set? Like, what sort of thing would you like to do? And they said, oh, we'd like to play a room without a barrier. Yes, and they always want to play without a barrier, said, don't they? Yeah. Uh, right. Well, the biggest room we've got where you could do that is the patronat which is sort of 700 750 capacity yeah, yeah. that's not gonna work yeah. and they said why not we said because there'll be a thousand people outside they <laughs> yeah, can't get in they'll yeah, be furious yeah. tell them to get there early yeah and we're like that's not gonna work <laughs> so we had to convince them not to but even like you know the, all bands want to play there it's it's got a really good atmosphere it, it, it look it is a church you know yeah it's literally the um the upstairs uh of, of a church and um these beautiful stained glass windows there's something that feels so blasphemous about watching <laughs> black metal in there yeah um uh like it'd be so wonderful to have behemoth play there once i mean behemoth would probably do the main room now i think possibly. we've had batushka in there and we've had um misturming doing the Ulf messer there right so there's been some shenanigans there going. was um shamash as well yeah uh, the first year i went they did triangle in full which is a triple album it's like two hours long and i remember it was actually the f you're not you're not afraid to put i mean we'll, we'll get into the sort of music that robin covers later on but it's very sometimes it's very 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 avant-garde mm. right and um i remember uh Shmash playing this triple album at t two o'clock i think that i believe it started right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and like this furious black metal in this church and they were, were like, all hooded and there was um uh dry ice everywhere and stuff like that and i remember just being like this is amazing but i've barely woken up like <laughs> i can't fucking handle it i remember bell witch did mirror reaper last year yeah. at about two o'clock yeah. as well i was like ah. <laughs> but um yeah you're not afraid to like put those kind of things on yeah like you know first thing well but i actually had somebody email me this week who's uh, somebody from a record label who's coming for the first time next year and they said, is the Thursday like a warm up day or is it a full day? It's really not. And I was Thursday like, was oh day. no, you need to be there by 3 p.m. on yeah, Thursday. Yeah, yeah, Otherwise, yeah, you're yeah. going to miss out on a lot of good yeah. stuff. And Thursday like, was my favorite day last year. And they were like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's like, it's pretty much when it starts, it starts. Yeah. And actually, like, um, we obviously do have headliners each day of the festival, but um, the headliner is not always in the slot that you would expect, you know, the 11 mm -hmm. p.m. sort mm -hmm. of slot. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's down to choice like is in sometimes we have people who are playing in multiple bands mm -hmm. um so it's logistical sort of we'd rather have this band play here and sometimes it is a logistical term thing in terms of production so um when we had diamanda gallas play she had a grand piano which had to be mm. tuned and s couldn't be moved so she ended up playing at like three o'clock in the afternoon right um we also had um cult of luna play a couple of years ago and they opened up on the thursday on the first day of the festival they were the first band on the main stage and that's because of they had an incredible lighting rig which um needed a proper setting up mm, and mm. needed hours to do so and um and you're incredibly accommodating with those sorts yeah of we will tr we'll do everything we can to make sure bands have exactly what they want on stage but with that it kind of came down to you can play at sort of 10 p.m but you won't be able to have the lighting rig or you can play at 3 p.m and you mm. can have the whole lighting rig because we won't be able to give you like a two-hour changeover mm -hmm. like in the mm -hmm. middle of the you know middle of the evening and they chose the 
afternoon slot because it's not it doesn't make that much difference like in terms mm. of that you're still going to have a full room at Roeburn yeah. even if you're the first band on the main stage three yeah. o'clock on a Thursday um so yeah there's no warming up you're straight yeah. in yeah 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 um it's it's not like everyone is very very keen to get there straight away and experience the entire thing it's not kind of you know hungover or not everyone's always there like from doors kind yeah. of thing and um, there is a there is th at least one venue we've missed out there. Oh yeah, so this year for the first time we had the Koopal Hall. That's right. Which is um, a few minutes walk from the O13, and um, we were a little bit nervous about it because everything's so close at yeah. Roadburn. Like when I say the Patronite is across the road from the O13, it's literally from one front door it you is, can yeah. see the other. It's yeah. a ten second yeah. walk. Yeah. Um, so we were a little bit nervous that maybe people would resent this walk to the other venue, but it's a couple of minutes, genuinely. Um, it's across the road. It's across the road. <laughs> but And and if you were at an outdoor festival, a big outdoor festival, it'd probably take oh, the same amount of time to walk yeah, between yeah, stages, yeah. but yeah. we just, we've spoiled people in previous yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. So, and we were also very lucky this year that it was so sunny. I would imagine the first time people had to make that walk from the O13 to the Cooper Hall, if it was chucking it down with rain yeah, 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 yeah. that wouldn't have felt so easy but yeah so we had the cooper hall which is a a, a um a new venue for us this year it's which a pretty big space isn't it yeah it was i think it was about 1300 maybe okay. um but the space is quite flexible it's basically a big sort of almost like warehouse sort mm, of um yeah. room and we divided it in half to make the stage at one end and the merchandise at, was at the other end and mm -hmm. uh, the full bleed exhibition which i'll tell you about in a bit mm -hmm. um was at the other half um so that was a great space and i think that was quite a popular stage like bands enjoy playing that um and just next to that was the hall of fame which is um attached to a skate park um and it is our 300 capacity uh room which is um one of the smaller rooms yeah. at, at roeburn and uh that's sort of up that end of tilburg as well with um the cooper hall and then this year and for the last several years the um smallest stage we've had is the cul-de-sac which is essentially a tiny little pub it's mm. so small yeah maybe t 150 200 capacity, yeah maybe i yeah. mean despite working for roadburn i see very few shows in there because yeah, uh, yeah. it's so hot it's a little sweat box but uh, again yeah. bands love playing there I remember uh, Un Misier like last year played something ridiculous, like five sets. I think like they that. did three did in the three? end, okay. yeah. But um, that was a great thing because they sort of, they did their, um, they did sets and as as they went through the weekend, more and more people picked up on them and wanted to go to their shows. And then when they played in cul-de-sac, it's like, oh, can't get in. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a good experience for bands. I think I think they enjoy that sort of atmosphere oh that tiny tiny yeah play, playing in that i mean I, I i remember we were vaguely talking i was like why did he get conversion in the green like in the cul-de-sac like i mean it would have been ridiculous but yeah they would have loved to have done that i'm sure you know people would have died I'm pretty <laughs> <laughs> um so you've, you've mentioned a lot of bands already and a lot of bands i, I imagine a lot of people listening to this will be like who what eh? yeah which leads me on to talking about the bands that you actually get for Roadburn. I think one of the things that makes it such a, a festival that people are so passionate about is you go for bands who don't play often or, or, or a very um, uh, special kind of band in that you, you don't see them play in many other places. 
uh, or there's specially commissioned pieces, which we'll get onto, and so on and so forth. So, and this is an incredibly broad question, but what constitutes a road burn band? Because mm. I can't, I, I, I think we'll together we'll figure this out. <laughs> because I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm curious as to what your answer is going to be, but I'm not. I'm not sure you, it, with the greatest of respect, <laughs> I'm not sure you know either. But what do you think? Well, the artistic director of Roburn is a man called Walter, who's mm-hmm. been involved from the very beginning. It's very much his festival. He's yeah. the heart and soul of Roburn, and um, we talk about it often and at great length. Yeah. Whether a band is a Roburn band and whether they suit Roburn this year or maybe we should wait for next year or and it is to some degree intangible and you don't know what it is until it's right in front of you yeah. until yeah. like will this work yeah maybe this will work and Roadburn kind of started out as a much more uh stone rock and doom festival and there is definitely still that part of music involved in Roadburn that hasn't gone away but Roadburn has evolved I should interject here though because I think there's a um I think a lot of people assume Roadburn is a quote-unquote metal festival yeah and that's not strictly true is it would you say that's accurate or not? we have metal bands playing but I don't consider it to be a metal festival yeah I would agree um so we have people who come to Roadburn who've been coming from the beginning mm. um and their their musical tastes perhaps are more the stoner rock the doom the psychedelic stuff mm-hmm. and like i say that music is still represented very much so at roadburn um but i would say it's been evolving for quite a few years now and um a big part of that is walter's passion and drive for um pushing boundaries mm-hmm. and um kind of like joining the dots between different genres of music and different artists to pair them up with it's a lot a lot of it's to do with context i know that sounds a little bit pretentious but um it's not just a metal festival but you kind of you can't just go and pick any old band like um any old hip hop band to go in mm-hmm. it has to work mm-hmm. in context so dalek were the first hip hop band or you know mm. that kind of genre that we had at Roadburn and it worked but it we couldn't have just picked any you Mm. know it had to be somebody that people were somewhat familiar with that there was a dot to be joined to some of the other bands on the lineup so it made sense so you're telling me Vanilla Ice is not going to be playing Roadburn anytime soon spoilers (laughs) come on (laughs) sorry um but it's so yes it's it's a difficult thing to explain and I think in some ways, just the same way that a lot of people, well, anybody who comes to Roburn could have a completely different experience to the person next to them. Yeah. In yeah, some yeah. ways, like people have their own def- definition of what makes a Roadburn band, and sometimes people say, "Why don't you book so and so for Roadburn?" Mm. And me and Walter are kind of like, mm, no. "No." But you know, sometimes, and sometimes bands that have played Roadburn before don't make sense now Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean that they'll never make sense again but Mm -hmm. sometimes it is just like where a band is at in their career or what we're doing that year um sometimes we talk about bands and sometimes it's a a logistic thing and sometimes it's just like a don't think it quite works like as you know if we're talking about a headline band or a band near the top of the bill so it's a a big band they're going to be a big draw but they don't fit in with everybody else that we've got on that stage on that day or even across the weekend it's kind of like can you think of any examples of a band that one year would have worked and then maybe another year didn't that you're happy to talk about 
N- no, but what, what one of the things we're actually going to announce today um, at the gates uh, yeah. playing, and um, this is kind of avoiding your question to some okay, degree, that's fine. but um, it's part of the reason that we wanted to announce them before tickets go on sale is because um, they are a metal band and yeah. metal is still an important part of Roadburn. But of the bands we've announced so far, although broadly speaking, several of them are metal bands, um, Sleep are the main band that we've announced. They're our main yeah. headliner for 2019, who obviously are a stoner. Yeah, very much so. Doom band. Yeah. Um, and part of the reason it was important for us to announce at the gates before tickets go on sale is so that our lineup is represented more accurately. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So that we have announced a, a, a big, significant part of Roadburn 2019 with at the gates before tickets go on sale. So people get a broader understanding of what they're going to get. Mm. And that's quite important to us because we do cover so many genres um, that there is a bit of the psych stuff announced, that there is a, some doom, there is some metal there is some you know it's all kind of there even though we've only announced i don't know something like 20 25 bands mm. you get a broad representation of what the roadburn lineup is going to be yeah so at the gates is an important one to have there before tickets go on sale so that we don't have people going oh there isn't any like proper any, metal yeah, yeah. there isn't any of this so it's represented there so but i mean we're talking about like how sort of things come together We've talked about having Thomas Lindbergh as our curator for a few years, mm-hmm. and it's um, it's one of those things where it, his his ability to do it was never in doubt. But kind of working out when it made sense within the rest of the lineup to do it, and some of it again comes down to logistics and practicalities. But yeah, so I don't know. It is one of those. I think some of it is definitely done on gut feeling, but mm. a lot of that's Walter's gut feeling. So I think um, a through line with all Roadburn bands is um, maybe a, a sort of an avant garde ness, uh, maybe. Um, a, uh, again, you kind of said this, but a, 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 a desire to push boundaries and a desire to push things beyond the limitations of maybe the genre that they're in or something. So, you know, thinking of non-metal acts that have played it, I remember, I remember seeing Zola Jesus last year. Now, I mean, God, how would you describe Zola Jesus? Sort of a mix between Madonna and Chelsea Wolf almost, <laughs> kind of. Um, you know, Zola Jesus is kind of, would you say she's pop? I, 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 I mean, I think, I, th- I think she is quite poppy and uh, melodious, but I don't, but, you know, we're not talking about Katy Perry here. Like, well, um, she that set was one of my favorite Roadburn sets yeah. ever. I love Zola Jesus, and it was actually part of um, Jake's curation. So right. Jake Bannon picked her to play, and which a lot of people would probably be quite surprised about. Potentially. Yeah, but I think, um, and it looked like we weren't going to get her at one point, oh, and okay. um, uh, I was just like, we've got to have Zola Jesus. We've mm. got to have her. And I went to see her probably like this time last year um, at a small venue in Manchester. And I, I liked her before when she released her last album, McCovey. Um, yeah, brilliant. I became a bit evangelical. Yeah. And then I went to see her. I was like, we have to have her at Robo and we have to have her. And um, I think that was quite, um, I wouldn't necessarily say a turning point, but it was quite a pivotal part of Robo's history in some way, I think, because it was um, similar to having a band like Dalek, having 
a boundary pushed in a different direction or a yeah. new direction. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, she d- she does like there are dance routines on stage and stuff. I wouldn't say it's a routine. No. No. Is that is that like is that improvised? Kind yeah, of thing? I think so. Oh right, I didn't. She's I, just I, going with the flow. Oh but right. But she definitely dances. Yeah, she definitely dances. Yeah, it's uh, it's it, it's a hell of an experience. I wasn't really sure. I mean, I I think she's amazing, and and that that last record particularly is it a Covey? Yeah, uh, it's just absolutely phenomenal. Um, but it definitely felt like a very different experience to, um, what we've had at Roadburn. But then at the same time, it 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 fit because it is an artist who is pushing. It, she's very very difficult to define. Well, as know. as it's almost like a perfect juxtaposition because at the same time as she was playing, or rather, she overlapped with. Boris and Stephen O'Malley. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think for a lot of people, Boris is a quintessential Roburn band. Yeah, like they're very yeah, much. Yeah. That's a Roburn band. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Stephen O'Malley is played. I have no idea how many times Stephen O'Malley mm. has played in various guises over the years. So it it was full when Zola Jesus was playing, but it was also full when Boris and Stephen O'Malley were playing. So it's they both now represent. Uh, what Roburn is or what mm. Roburn can be. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think it was quite a, a pivotal point, I think. I think another artist that um, I- I in a, s- a sort of similar, not even a similar vein to Zola Jesus, but Emma Ruth Rundle played a couple of years ago as yes. well. And, and You were a bit woozy during that, weren't I you? <laughs> <laughs> I remember it well. Yeah, I, I think don't. you were leaning on me at one point. <laughs> I'm really glad you've, you've put this. Yeah, we put this on the podcast. Can't edit this uh, out. <laughs> um, and uh, again, Emma Ruth Rundle absolutely fits with the aesthetic, but then sonically, she wouldn't maybe be considered a typical Roadburn band. But in terms of her esotericness and and her what she does, she's undoubtedly worked. You know, from from what I recall. I mean, I, I was. <laughs> but <laughs> from what i recall it was very very good you know well there was a review by the quietus of roadburn a few years ago where they said something along the lines of roadburn continues to explore the meaning of heavy and yes. that was something that really spoke to walter when he read that he's like yes that's yes. what we're doing that's exactly what it is so uh, emma ruth rundle you to some people you could describe that as pop she writes melodic music yeah. again not pop in the sort of uh, chart sort of sense but um she writes very melodic music and yeah it's very heavy yeah the subject yeah. matter the delivery it's heavy music and the the last time that she played um i think was it immediately before or immediately after we had olva playing their last uh, album it, in it full? was it was um it was did they overlap? Uh, they slightly overlapped yeah um and that year as well we also had um mysticum play um, yeah, tell us about Mysticum. Oh, well, that was um, pushing the boundaries in terms yeah. of production, I would say. Yeah. So what the O13 actually ended up doing is they had to hire a night crew to um, build their set overnight. And that was the only way we could make it happen. Oh, right. So um, Mysticum don't play live that often, most often at festivals. And we got the full production experience, mm. um, which is three men on podiums mm-hmm. 20 foot high podiums which have led screens at the front um there's flashing lights there's all kinds of stuff going on and it's 
an overwhelming experience and it was very heavy mm. so that's the same festival that puts on Michigan, puts on emma ruth rundle and the two i wouldn't necessarily say sit side by side but they coexist in the same space and yeah. it works and there's an audience for both of them and both went down incredibly well and after watching Mysticum, I needed a cuddle and a toasty and a little sit down. It was, um, <laughs> it was so, so the images were flashing. I mean, if you'd had uh, epilepsy or anything like that, you would not oh, have yeah, been we able to. Oh yeah, I think we had to put up signs. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was a, a get out, a, an absolute assault on the senses, effectively. Um, and um, but uh, ag again, again, it, it's just all about it, it. It's just about pushing boundaries, isn't it? It's yeah. about something slightly left of center i suppose something slightly um slightly odd something an experience that you're not going to get anywhere else slightly esoteric or slightly but the nice thing about it is that sometimes we do approach bands to do something specific like would you like to play this album in full or yes perhaps you could collaborate with this person but quite often the bands themselves come up with what they want to do without any prompting because because we kind of encouraged them to think about how they would like to explore their band in a live setting. Like, what is it that you haven't had a chance to do live? Mm. Can we help you do that? Yeah, and yeah. is there something, is there somebody you've always wanted to have as a guest who just happens to be playing the festival? We can make that happen. Or is it a full production mm. where you have your pyro or um, hydraulic platforms or <laughs> whatever it is that you need to make your band represented in the best way and a good example of this was um we had napalm death play mm -hmm. in 2015 mm -hmm. i'm tempted to say 2014 2015 and um they played all their slow songs oh right and cool. there's not many i mean <laughs> they're <laughs> yeah. slow by napalm death standards but um so napalm death i say were necessarily what most people would think of as being a road burn band like hmm okay yeah yeah but because on. we don't have a lot of grind grindcore at road burn but there was something they were a very important part of um musical history yeah and they do have a place at road burn but it probably wouldn't have worked quite I mean, people. Not to say that people. Some people wouldn't have really enjoyed it, and maybe it would have worked if they just played a regular, a regular set. set yeah. But they wanted to do something different, and Roadburn was the place to do something like that, um, because I think the audience is open-minded as well. Yeah. That's a big part of it. That um, they kind of go along for the journey of this band exploring a different part of them. So I mentioned before, we're going to announce at the gates today, and they're still working out exactly what they're going to do for their set. But it is going to be a special set, and okay. I think they're going to have some guest musicians um and i think there is a chance they're going to do some like reimagining of some of their older songs and sort of working out how to represent them in a different way or maybe in a in a way they've always wanted to explore but haven't quite had the opportunity to do so yet so i, I mean another good example of something like that is having um the first time we had converge play um they did the blood moon set which yes. they did also play in London and maybe Berlin, I think. But so this was with Chelsea Wolf and um, uh, oh, who else was there? Well, in at Roadburn we had Steve Von Till and um, Stephen right, Brodsky. Yeah. Bro yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's but that's basically like converges again. It's sort of converges slower material. The songs that they wouldn't normally play live, mainly because they would need additional musicians. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. Um, something else like that. I saw it in London. Yeah, um, phenomenal, absolutely amazing. And 
we didn't quite know what it was going to be until until we announced it. Mm. And that was my first time working with Jake, and I told him, you know, we're announcing on Thursday. Okay, well, I'll have the stuff to you by Wednesday. Mm. And I was like, what, what, what is it? <laughs> and I was like, I never trust bands when they say that, but he did deliver yeah, um, yeah. just in time. And so it was sort of 11 o'clock at night, and I get the email from Jake, and it's like, here's the poster I've designed, and here's the quote, and it's like, what what is this what yeah. are you gonna do yeah. and so that was the first i knew of it um and uh yeah it was this incredible thing that um i think i don't know maybe they'll play it again sometime maybe they'll do something else with it i'm really not sure yeah, but, but maybe they won't i mean well they that year they also played the jane doe live jane doe. Uh, album live and they say that's the only time they're ever going to do that. So. Uh, yeah, Jacob has said that he's only interested in doing full album shows at Roadburn. Um, and um, he's said that because uh, they've done Jane Doe in full. And then last year they did the Dusk in Us in full and uh, you, fail you Fail Me, me in yeah. full. Um, and it seems that Roadburn, over the time that it's been going, I mean, it started in 1999, didn't it? Originally. Yes. Um, and uh, it, it seems that it's cultivated this um, <coughs> cult, th th this cult culture where bands can do whatever they want to do because you will you will give them the resources and the time to develop what they want to do, and and I think that's partly what makes it such a special festival because most festivals are actually incredibly restrictive. Mm. Uh, but Roadburn are anything, anything but. They're like, wh whatever your vision is, we will do everything in our power to try and make it work. I think that two of the main parts of that being possible, one is Walter talking to the bands and working yeah. with the bands to help them figure out exactly what it is they want to do and how to make it a reality. And the second part of it is the production team at the O13 who mm. are incredible and um very experienced and um just know what they're doing and they can give you a you know we can't do this with what we've got here but we could hire this in and make it work okay um and yeah i think those two parts together are what make the special sets possible mm -hmm. um so yeah sometimes it takes a while for yeah something to come together and to be developed into the set that you actually see. Um, and again, sometimes these things sometimes can take years to happen. Like mm. it starts with an idea, but then it's not going to be possible because I mean, we've this year was the first time we had commission pieces at Roeburn, yeah. which was, um, we had the Waste of Space Orchestra, which was Dark Buddha Rising and Aranzi Pazuzu. Um, I think it was 13 musicians in total. That was absolutely insane. Yeah. And we commissioned them as a festival to write this piece of music and perform it. It was the world premiere doing it at Roadburn mm. and we hadn't heard a note of it. Yep. Well, actually what Walter and I heard it the night before like when they were rehearsing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we were just like, what is this? This is insane. Yeah. And it was, it was amazing. It was like a massive head fuck of an acid trip at about 5 PM. Yeah. <laughs> it was just great. Absolutely weird. So we commissioned that and that was actually the idea it came about um friends who is the director of the o13 venue and walter worked did put a lot of work in um applying for a grant to fund the um commission pieces this year so we had the waste of space orchestra and then we had um on the sunday afternoon we had um 
some Icelandic black metal musicians mm-hmm. um, performing a commission piece. And for me, that was one of the standout moments of Robo in 2018 um, because it was three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon and the main room was full. So there's about 3,000 people watching not just a black metal, extreme black metal band, but extreme black metal music that had never been performed before. This wasn't like they were watching Emperor perform a classic album. This is, we've never heard this before. And that was the audience putting their faith in the musicians um and and in Roburn that we mm. were going to deliver something that was worth them spending their Sunday afternoon watching mm, mm. and it was incredible mm, mm. and then there's been um I know a couple of years ago there was uh, a set which is still talked about in quite reverent hushed tones is this Zeal and Arda set at Het Patron Arts yeah. as well so I think that was their fifth ever show yeah um and obviously having that sort of mix of um like uh um I don't know those Lomax recordings and and um, black metal in that church was an amazing experience yeah. for for those who got to see it. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to. I, I heard a bit outside and I was like, oh, oh this sounds amazing. See, when when they were booked, um, the Patronat was the perfect place for them. Yeah, and yeah. then in between them being booked and the festival, massive, didn't they? it really yeah. took off. Yeah. And you know, you'd sort of think, well swap them to the main stage but logistically it wasn't possible yeah. because i think it was the same day as um curation it curated. was uh, baroness they were yeah. on the same time as baroness so we couldn't just swap yeah. them around <laughs> yeah. uh baroness and patronat probably wouldn't work either yeah, yeah so yeah. um it wasn't as simple as that so that's one of those times when we kind of have to go yeah it, what, whatever things. happens happens and for the people that made it in it was great and perhaps we'll have them back sometime and they will play the main stage. We all learn that mistake <laughs> <laughs> from that mistake. But um, are there um, are there any sets um, that you haven't mentioned that are particular highlights of your time going to Roadburn? Warning. Warning. Yes. Okay. Yep. Um, last year, and um, I suppose that's a personal thing for me because um, I love the band. And um, that was one that was a few years in the making. Oh, right. Um, Walter came over to London. We actually went to go and see Primordial mm-hmm. in London. Mm-hmm. And Patrick Walker came along. And um, he's kind of said, I've been thinking about maybe playing with Warning again. Mm-hmm. And I was instantly, <gasps> mm-hmm. I've got to have this. And Walter's much more... Uh, patient than me mm-hmm. i would say sometimes um so <laughs> he kind of was like well whenever you're ready let us know we'd love to have you at roadburn and it took another couple of years before it happened but when it did patrick knew that the first stuff you know the place he wanted to play was roadburn um and um they played watching from a distance in full which is one of my favorite albums mm-hmm. and uh yeah it was great i loved it mm. and um a lot of people talk about that album in particular is being a very emotional album and being in tears listening to it. And I was in tears watching the show, partly because the album means so much to me, but partly because it felt like, I can't believe it took this long for it to get here and here we are and it's happening. And afterwards, Patrick was a bit like, oh, how do you think it went? And I was like, it was so good. Oh, I was <laughs> overwhelmed. And he was like, what's going on? You've never been this nice to me before in your life. And I was like, I'm just so overwhelmed. <laughs> so yeah, that was a special one. I really enjoyed that. Um, Bell Witch 
this ah, year, yeah, Mirror Reaper. Mirror Reaper. And that's, again, it's quite a personal one, I suppose, because I actually worked on that album with Bellwitch. Yeah. Um, in a, in a uh, press capacity, I yes. should say. You're not, like, doing vocals in the background or anything like that. No, <laughs> sadly not. I mean, now I'm thinking about it, I could volunteer my services. <laughs> but, no, in a PR capacity, yeah. yeah. So I'd been living with that album for not quite a year, but... Oh, oh, it's such an overwhelming album. It's amazing. Yeah. And, um, well, it's, uh, so it's, um, a uh, hundred minutes. It's 83 minutes. 80 Don't exaggerate. <laughs> 83 minute, uh, one track. Yeah. Doom metal spectacular. It's amazing. Yeah. I love it. Um, and they performed it at Roburn for the first time with this incredible video visual thing going on in the background. They had Eric Mogridge, who uh, also performed as Aerial Ruin, but he does vocals on the album, but they had him do his vocals as part of their set. And um, it was just, it was amazing. It was very striking. Um, and they played at the Cooper Hall, which like I say, is this kind of big industrial looking building. And I actually missed the very beginning of their set because I had to do something else work-wise. So I kind of, I was literally sweating. It was very hot weather as well. So I like yeah. legged it up the road and like I came in around the back of the building and um, it was a really quiet part of the song. And I was just like, it was one of those <laughs> where I almost thought like, felt like people would turn around and look at me when I opened the door walking in. Cause it was like, you could hear a pin drop. It was insane. Um, like over a thousand people just stood inside. Like they stood, everyone just stood so still watching them. Mm, Not, mm a noise throughout it mm. it was incredible it was just like such a special thing um and i suppose maybe this is why i was a bit late i'm trying to piece together what day people played this year we had um stephen brodsky and adam mcgrath i was gonna say if, if you if you didn't mention it i was going to mention yeah it, they so did a uh, sort of acoustic set um about a month before roadburn this year um caleb schofield from cave in and old man gloom um died in a car crash mm. and um there were several bands that were playing roburn this year who were connected to him yeah. um either by being in a band with him or, or boston massachusetts scene yeah or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. um well converge being a big one yeah. yeah and a few weeks a couple of weeks probably in two weeks or so before roburn uh stephen got in touch and said could we do something at roburn mm. And it was their idea. They wanted to do it. We would never have asked them to do something like that. It's Not way that too, soon. way yeah. too personal yeah. to do something like that. And um, but they wanted to do it, and we put it together. They played it Patronat, sort of like twelve or one o'clock on the Saturday afternoon, and um, did an amazing like acoustic show. It was beautiful. In I'm tribute to Caleb. I, I, I'm, I'm a huge Caven fan. I absolutely adore that band. And it was so tragic. I'm going to, to LA them. to see them yeah, in know. a couple of weeks. I know. And I am um, kind of, when they announced that show, which is also a tribute show for Caleb in LA, um, we were having a conversation with them at that point about maybe playing Roadburn. Mm. But I was just like, what if it doesn't happen? So mm. I would have better go to LA as well. So but the Caven are playing uh, next year, aren't they? Yes. Yes, so Caven are definitely are playing. Um, which will be phenomenal. I mean, I kind of assumed when Caleb um, passed away, I assumed that that was it. 
the yeah. cave-in to be honest so the fact that i mean to be honest i'm there for cave-in alone that's it that's fine with yeah. me um i i've i've saw cave-in in new york once oh, uh, sure? on white <laughs> on uh, white silence oh yeah um it was their opening show on that tour actually i think it was just absolutely phenomenal at this great venue called santos party house uh which is no longer there unfortunately they used they used to have a santa claus uh dressed up as a spaceman on the roof sure. uh, <laughs> why not um just just a suggestion for road burn, okay, that's what I'm saying. um but um yeah caven are a really special band and I, I think um that was a really beautiful moment and a beautiful um just just an incredible experience i remember being on the balcony of the patronat just bawling my eyes out. I think really. a lot of people were in tears yeah. watching. It was, yeah. yeah, it was a very sort of um, raw, mm. and I don't know. Maybe this sounds a bit of a silly word, but like very honest, sort of like. Mm. Um, I think Steve actually said like on stage that like it was kind of quite important for them. Like it was like a healing thing. Like the music is what brought them together, and sort of celebrating his life through music was quite an important thing. Am I right? And um, uh, we we can edit this out if I'm incorrect or, or or if I'm not supposed to say. But am I? Uh, was it not? Weren't Caven? There was talk of Caven playing last year, wasn't there? Um, I think they were on Jacob's long list for his curation. Right. right. And um, I think it just didn't happen. Like it was a logistical thing, perhaps. Okay. Or I mean, they didn't they didn't play that often in the last no, they really well, in the last ten years or no. so. They haven't played a lot, and um, I just don't think they were in the right place to be doing it. Like mm. they're all in other bands and yeah. so on, and it was just not not really on the cards. But I'm pretty sure they were on Jake's long list. Um, but that's I mean, we haven't really talked about the curations that much yet, but every year we have a curator mm -hmm. um and uh it's usually somebody from a band mm -hmm. so examples of curators have been jacob bannon last year john dyer Baisley the year before lee dorian the year before that mm -hmm. um the year before that we had Ina from wardruna and mm -hmm. eva from enslaved because mm -hmm. they performed together with scoocher mm -hmm. Um, so yeah it's we have a different curator every year and they curate part of the festival it's usually two days is that correct well two, it's, two it's stages in two days or it's changed like. a little bit over okay. the years okay. um but it's probably about um 10 bands or so in total okay um and yeah it used to be that their bands would be dotted around the lineup mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then um in the last couple of years they've curated the main stage one day and patch, patch stage another yep. um and i think it's going to change again this year oh, okay um so yeah, we pick somebody and then they go to town and pick bands <laughs> that they want to have. And how do you go about, um, I'm assuming you and Walter have discussions about who you want to curate each year and yeah. what sort of, uh, how do those discussions go and, and how, how do you decide when it's the right time for someone to curate and all that sort of there thing? There's kind of, um, there's almost sort of, it's similar to what we're saying about the lineup itself some of it's kind of gut feeling mm -hmm. um walter definitely has a list in his head mm -hmm. i know he does um but we do talk about it and um sometimes who we want doesn't quite work out sometimes you know if we have somebody in mind that we 
I don't know, let's say it's the summer and we we haven't got a curator for the following year yet and we're thinking of people, then we could approach somebody and it turns out they're actually going into the studio, record their album, mm-hmm. to record their next album at the beginning, mm-hmm. at the end of the year and then they're going to be busy and those sorts of things come up, which we don't know anything about until we approach somebody. Um, sometimes, um, I don't know, I wouldn't say there was an actual sort of set criteria. So some of it is kind of gut feeling. It kind of has to be somebody that is, um, has a good standing in the Roadburn sort of community that people um, know and respect yep. and would respect their um, choices. Yep. And under- not necessarily, they w- wouldn't necessarily be able to second guess who they're gonna pick. Like you say, Jake picking Solar Jesus. Yeah. Um, when we had Lee Dorian, he picked a lot of bands that maybe some people might expect. Like he put some bands from his own label on as well. But then he also had Gizm who have never played in Europe and uh, haven't played for, I don't know, over, well over 10 years in Japan. So we had them mm-hmm. and people were just like, what, is mm. this real? Mm. But then alongside that, he had Diamanda Gallas. And so I think it's, you know, it's not necessarily about them being able to, um, people understanding exactly what they're gonna pick, but them being able to represent a different sort of side of Roadburn. And what we talked about, about how Roadburn sort of pushes boundaries a little bit, in some ways the curatorship does that as well, because um, the curator works very closely with Walter in terms of making, getting the bands together and making sure everything's correct and is gonna work. But yeah, sometimes artists' long lists when they're a curator is, Quite a fascinating read. <laughs> so how did um, how did Thomas Lindbergh? I mean, Thomas Lindbergh strikes me as a, a really good curator. He's for a Roadburn. passionate music fan. Yeah, and he's been to Roeburn the last few years. Like he played um, a couple of years ago. Um, John Baisley's curation, mm-hmm. Disfear played. Ah right. And um, oh yes, I remember that. Now. Yeah. And he attended last year, made a little cameo on stage uh-huh. with Converge. Uh-huh. Um, but in some ways, that was the bit that was sort of holding us back in previous years, that he, of course he's well-known artist, um, and at the gates are a very well-established band and very well-respected band, but it was so, there was something about him having a connection with the Roeburn audience directly. Um, so it sounds a little bit patronizing to say like we were introducing him to the Roeburn audience because of course he's he's been around longer oh, yeah, than the festival, yeah, 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 but yeah. it's about putting him and his influence in context of Roeburn. So people actually seeing Disfear play in a Roeburn setting and him being on stage on the main stage with Converge, it's sort of like putting so him the, in- The timing felt right because, yeah. because of those previous yeah. things that had happened. And he's yeah. just such a passionate music fan. Like yeah. he, I don't think he had any shortage of bands when, you know, we sort of said, would you like to do this? And he's been talking to Walter ever since about the possibilities for it. And What's been announced so far that is part of his curation? Um, Henrik Palm. Uh-huh. And today we're announcing At The Gates, a special mm-hmm. show, and um, Anna von Hauswolf. Ah, great. Yes. Anna von Hauswolf, is, uh, I, I'm sure that's, that's going to be fantastic. But again, that's someone that people might not necessarily associate with Thomas Lindbergh and, and, and at, certainly at the gates. I mean, at the gates and Anna von Hauswolf are very far apart yeah. sonically. Yeah. Both heavy bands, if we're talking about, you know, what, what, what heavy music is and how we define what heavy is. But um, 
very very far apart but still clearly part of the road bon- road beneath us yeah it's a it's a weird i mean w- whenever we have conversations like this whether you know publicly or privately or whatever it's all we're always talking in these really weird esoteric kind of ways but that's because that's sort of the music that you you're involved with you know and like passionately involved with whether, whether it's in a uh, promotion sense or whether it's in Roadburn or you also do stuff for Damnation Festival in Leeds I think Roadburn has kind of become a little bit the epicenter of my life yeah yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, it's not my full time job but um, well Queen of Roadburn well, that's, that's, that's a lifelong title <laughs> um, but it's not my full time job but it's um, I feel like a lot of things are interconnected yeah. I've got a lot of other work out of working with Roadburn I meet a lot of people I mean the reason I'm in London at the moment is last night I went to see Kayla Mickler play mm-hmm. who played Roadburn this year mm-hmm. and I'm now working on their album which mm-hmm. is out in November and um, I don't know there's so many people that I know like as personal friends or industry connections like people I've worked with or have worked with me or whatever they're all Roadburn attendees yeah. and it's kind of it's all very interconnected I think but not only does Roadburn do uh, it's you know it's not just music. There's so much more to Roadburn. Oh, I'm in charge of the side program. The side program. So, and this is a side of Roadburn which I think um, is just set to grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger every year. But um, well, where do we where do you want to start with the side programs? Mm. Well, visual art has always been an important part of Roadburn. We uh-huh. have um, digital backdrops on the stages. Um, and we encourage bands to use them to their full potential. So we have bands that have full movies sort of playing behind yeah. them, especially. Yeah, cool. Amen Ra, obviously, yeah. do that. And um, uh, but visual art has always been quite an important part of Roadburn. For years, we've had um, poster artists who do the actual main overall poster for each edition of the festival. We have a different artist each yep. year. Yep. Um, for 2019, we have Martin Donders. Uh-huh. he's already done that that's out there it's amazing um but the person who's done that poster artwork has had an exhibition of their work at Robem. and um when john Baisley was our curator mm-hmm. he part of his curation he kind of requested it at the beginning that he wanted to have a proper ex- not just the exhibition that y- they usually have of their their own artwork but he wanted to do something more because he um, works with Burlesque of North America, mm-hmm. who is a screen printing company. Um, they do all sorts of other, not ne- so much music festivals, but um, art festivals, comic books. So I think they do a lot of um, conventions and stuff like that. And so he wanted to bring full, well, we, we named the exhibition Full Bleed, but he wanted to bring Burlesque over. So um, last year we had a little gallery space in Tilburg which was given over to this exhibition and it, it, it was it was an art gallery basically yeah. it was an it was an art gallery um it was very you walk in and you know very peaceful atmosphere i remember walking in and uh, john was just sort of sat there you know just just chilled out yeah. and like people very politely just popping up to him and saying oh i'm really looking forward to your set and all this, yeah, this yeah. kind of thing and it was well, a very we, lovely we had atmosphere. other artists involved um so we had becky cloonan becky cloonan yeah yeah we had becky cloonan who'd done our poster artwork the year before um eric roper who had also yeah, done our poster yeah. artwork a few years previous um morales um who else did we have um jacob bannon yeah, yeah he was there bannon did some good um stuff. and then this year 
burlesque artists they could come back so we did full bleed too cool and um full bleed just to just to point this out is a is a fantastic title because a it sounds metal as fuck <laughs> but b full bleed is actually uh it's actually an artistic term a or screen printing term, screen yeah, printing think, term yeah. that's right um so it's just a really good pun uh but yeah yeah <laughs> um, i'm I a just big fan of a pun <laughs> um so and so so there's that aspect of it but there's also other bits to the side program well we're hoping to expand the art side of things okay. a bit more this year we should have a little bit more space so we hopefully will do something Fantastic. else as well okay. um for a few years well actually several years now we've had roben cinema yes so we have um usually four films that play over the course of the weekend um We've we, like this year we teamed up with Revolver and had um, oh, some of their short films playing, but we have Roben Cinema, which is a, a fascinating little pl space. It's like usually in the basement room, uh -huh. um, and it's small and dark and quiet. And sometimes you go in there and there'll be like two people <laughs> sat there, like staring, <laughs> probably not even at the screen, just like staring into space. And you are meant to be selling this. I, I know, but this, <laughs> hang on. So, but then other times you go in and it's rammed and there's yeah. like loads of people there, but it, I actually like it as just a space. I've gone in there, it's nice and cold. There's great air conditioning. Yeah. So I've actually gone in there like for like five Road minutes burn. break. Great, great air conditioning. Yeah, That's, great air conditioning. It's very poster. important. Um, Gone in there for like five minutes to like chill out, like away from people and it, it's nice and quiet and but it's fascinating like the films that we find are great and um they're kind of like representative of some of like the subculture of mm. stuff that goes on at roadburn give um, us a few examples of some films that have been on the last few years then oh you're putting me on the spot now. i am and we yes. had the arabrot um documentary this year we had arabrot play yes and um there was an amazing documentary made about um the singer he was diagnosed with throat cancer mm -hmm. and there's a documentary that kind of charts his progress and his life over mm -hmm. that time mm -hmm. um as i said we also had some of the revolver documentaries this year um such as golfing with the melvins that's a good one golfing with the melvins yeah yeah, yeah. golfing with buzz osborne yeah wow okay yeah. i mean i think they're all up on the revolver site now so you can have a look at them but um yeah we've had all sorts of bits and pieces over the years so that's a, a good little it is literally like a, a side program i know i know you, you've made me feel bad now like i'm not selling it like you could go in there and there's nobody there but <laughs> uh, but like i say it's brilliant because it's kind of like it's there it's an option you can go like i understand most people don't go to a festival to go and watch a film a lot of the time yeah, yeah, yeah. but um it, the option is there that like you don't have to remove yourself entirely from the festival if you need five minutes mm. out you know you mm. can go and watch a, a film for half an hour it's great um, also, it's a four-day festival, and it's not—it's not exhausting in the way that sort of a camping festival is exhausting because you know you need to, you need to find your own accommodation and stuff, and you'll most likely have a bed. There are there are camping options. There are I camping believe. options there, but um, but uh, it's still an exhausting. You know, you're being uh, quite overwhelming. It's an over. Yeah, you're you're being. I was about to say subjected. That is definitely Ooh. the wrong word. I do, but no, I'm not going to say that. You're you're you're. There's an awful lot of avant-garde esoteric strange music being blasted in your face for a long time so for having a space to just go and just like chill the fuck out and think about something else for a bit well we also have um panel discussions yes. and live interviews so um 
they kind of I can't remember who we did on which year, but we always have we always have one at least one panel discussion, which is usually usually music industry related, mm. and um, so. Bef- again before I worked for Roburn I was on one of their panels mm-hmm. and that was one of my favorite ones actually it was about um because you were on it of course yeah yeah um it was about classic albums like what makes a classic album do we still have classic albums that are being made right. um w- you know is it a period of time how can you judge when something becomes classic and yeah. what is it yeah. that makes it classic yeah. and it was brilliant we had uh, journalists yeah. uh, record label people publicists all sorts of people and we had a right old row about yeah. that one but oh, right, um, okay. uh, but um sometimes we're talking about um sort of how new technology can affect um the music industry or has affected the new uh, the music industry um so it's generally industry focused and we have um we have a lot of uh, record labels and uh, distributors and managers and so on that come to Roburn so we can I have my pick of them <laughs> and uh, rope them into being on a panel um but we also do um live interviews so we've had um Stephen Scott from Neurosis mm-hmm. um John Baisley John Baisley um we've had art panel discussions or we've mm-hmm. had some of those artists that we talked about earlier from Full Bleed um talking about their work so we kind of it's kind of part of it is um putting it's kind of again about context like put, like giving additional access to the artists that are performing but also giving more context to them like we it's usually um, an interview setting so we usually have a journalist who will conduct the interview and it's on stage um but it's usually in a small room and after the interviewer has done their quizzing mm-hmm. um there's a open Q and A part so you can ask that burning question you've always yeah. wanted to yeah um this year we had um Johannes from Cult of Luna and Julie Christmas doing it. Yes, I and missed um, that. I was annoyed about missing that, but yes. Oh, I think they had a lovely time. They were drinking red wine throughout. Oh, great. Okay, cool. So, uh, yeah, it was great. And um, I just think it gives, yeah, an extra sort of like dimension to the artists that play. But uh, at Roburn, I don't think there is um, as much of a boundary between the artists and the audience as there maybe is at other festivals. Well, I remember um, being kind of astonished the first year I was there and uh, Scott Kelly is just walking around. Well, the very know. first person I ever met at Roburn, like the first time I attended, because like I say, I only went for one day and I arrived early in the morning. Yeah. There was no one around at that point. Yeah. And I was like getting my bearings, wandering around Tilburg and walked around a corner and bumped into Wino, just having a cigarette there. I was like, Great. hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, he's like, are you lost? Yes, I'm lost. I don't know where I'm going. So yeah, I think it's quite... Um, yeah, you you see other bands watching each. I mean, Thomas Lindbergh, the first time he came to Roburn, was baffling bands. Like he was like, he'd go and be getting his spot at the front of the stage when they were still setting up, and like some of the bands on the smallest stage were like, "Excuse me, are you Thomas Lindbergh?" And he's like, <laughs> "Yes." And they're like, "What are you doing here? I've come to watch your band." No way. Yeah, yeah. So like he he just you know was there having a lovely time and. Uh, it feels like a festival where there's no ego or bu- bullshit, you know. I mean, uh, obviously there there are backstage areas, but it does feel like that bands don't want to be in them. Uh, they'd rather be out experiencing the festival itself. People tend to use the backstage area as it was originally intended to mm. get changed before you set and mm. or have a little nap if you've travelled a long mm. way. Mm. They, they, I mean 
people go there and have their dinner and mm. then they go out and watch bands and yeah. it's a great opportunity for them to see bands the same way as it is for the people that buy a ticket mm. that uh, often the bands that are playing want to see the other bands on the bill um i mean i went to watch thou and the body um mm. play at the cooper hall which was incredible this mm. year and yeah. then i left just before the end because i was like i've got to go and watch earthless mm. on the main stage don't want to miss that and uh, as I was walking over to the main stage, I bump into Justin Broderick doing a, a, a fast jog along the road. What are you up to? Oh, I've got to go and watch Thou. I've got to go and watch Thou. <laughs> so, he, you know, he's off to go and watch the same bands that we're going to go and watch. Why would he not be? You know, he's mm. a music fan. That's why he's there. So, yeah, there's not as much of a boundary, I think, between audience and fans mm. at Roadburn. And again, I think that's something that's been kind of cultivated over the years, Um and a lot of it does come down to Walter, like making these fans feel at home, mm. making them feel like they're part of something and that they want to be part of something. And it is that almost like, how does he do that? Or what are we doing that makes people feel that comfortable? I can't tell you that. I don't know the answer. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a very difficult thing to quantify how you actually establish how you actually make that happen yeah. but you know it doesn't it doesn't happen at download or reading or anything like that you know mm. um you go you know a little uh, behind appear behind the curtain but if you go into the vip areas of those bars uh, of those festivals sorry then you will see just uh, all, all of the musicians playing like at the bar there because that's where they want to be you yeah. know and but it's not like that with roadburn because i think everyone who's playing is a massive music fan as well and they know that these are special sets these are special things that you're not going to see anywhere else you know and they want to be a part of them yeah I think. um so bearing all that in mind where does roadburn fit in with the rest of the festival scene Hmm. Hmm. well do you want my can i can i answer my own question oh yeah for, by all <laughs> means i'm just gonna have a little drink of water you crack on just <laughs> just because i saw i stumped you ever so slightly and it, it'll give, it give, give me an opportunity to say what i think because i i think it's a trick question because i don't think it does fit in trickaloo <laughs> go on then i don't think it um i think that's actually kind of what's so special about it in that it is so unique and so its own thing i don't think it's you can't compare download to roadburn you can't compare um i, I was gonna say sonosphere it's no longer a thing you can't compare i, I don't know 2000 trees to roadburn or, or anything you know it's just it's just a totally different experience mm. and i think that has been cultivated through everything that we've been talking about in the last hour or so in terms of Walter and yourself wanting to give bands as much uh, as much of the resources as they can have and everything that they need to make the show that they want to deliver. Yeah, basically, I think um, I mean, it sounds a little bit cheesy, but I think so much love goes into Robert like this. Oh. This is not even Walter's a bit sick. Yep. sorry <laughs> this is not even walter's full-time job like it's his life like yeah. this is yeah. what he thinks about 24 7 and i um i recognize that like it, there is a lot of passion that goes into it and dedication and commitment and um i think that it's sort of it's reciprocated because we want bands to be there at their best and we want them to 
that sounds like we're pushing them to do more, but mm. it's more about that we want to give them the environment where they feel comfortable and that they are able to be their best mm. and that they are representing mm. themselves how they want to be seen. And I think because there's so much sort of mutual respect from the festival to the fans, they're not a commodity that is just here to sell tickets for us. It's sort of, it's it's much more artistic than that. Yeah. It's um And you feel you feel that when you go as well. You don't feel like you're being sold to all the time yeah. or, or or you know uh, you, you, Yeah, sorry. No, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> um well, I think that comes from I mean Roben started like uh, as some friends putting on a show the oh. same way many festivals um probably come about. And um, it's developed and it's grown over the years. And I think there are some festivals um, that maybe try and achieve, and not I don't mean in terms of copy, like they're copying Roburn, but it's more that some people maybe try and achieve what we have achieved quickly. Mm. And I don't think it's possible mm. to do that. Um, you can put on a great lineup, but you can't develop like, that you know things that happen at Roadburn now have happened quite organically yeah um i only found out um actually during during a q a that i was doing with walter right. <laughs> at Roadburn this year how the curatorships came about and it was um david tibet playing and he basically said that he wanted to do that well, that's quite a good idea oh right so then after he'd done that it kind of developed as a part of Roadburn, and it is a really big part of Roadburn now yeah um so i think that even if the same people that are involved in Roadburn now sat down, let's make a festival from scratch. You, you wouldn't come up with the same formula. Do no. you know what I mean? So it's something I, I'm not being critical of other festivals, how they do things at all, because I think that's kind of what you're saying. Like you every, are a little bit. No, no, I'm genuinely <laughs> not. But I mean, we have plenty of other festivals that come to Roadburn. Like this year we had um, the guys from Damnation came mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, from Art Tangent, people mm -hmm. from Hellfest come every year. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's not about a competition. Mm, it's more mm. just like, I think festivals do develop their own identity and Roadburn's identity has developed over the years. Is a very big part of that is Walter and his imprint on it, but it's still, it's it's not something that could have been magicked up overnight. So um, yeah, the development and the sort of, the growth of it has happened quite naturally. And then that's how you end up with the festival that we have today. And um, I'm sure it will continue to grow in there's a different directions. There's a conversation that is um, often had in terms of um, festivals. People are very worried about um, the future of download, for example, because mm. of headliners and so on and so forth. Um, Roburn, does Roburn have any of those concerns at all? Because I, I, I don't believe you do, but I'm curious as I to think what you think. I mean, in some ways we probably do have the same issue, but I th maybe we approach it in a different way in that I think it's quite an exciting problem to have. Right. Like who's going to be headlining our festival in five years? Mm. Uh, is that like Zelanada, mm. like a band mm. that we have playing in a 700 capacity room? Um, or is it Aranzi Pazuzu mm. who we also had, that you know, uh, and... Aranzi Pazuzu is like uh, black metal gone to the circus. Yeah. Fucking great. Yeah. So in some ways, I think what Roadburn does is also we kind of put bands in 
potentially sometimes different situations to where they normally would play. Yes. Um, so I noticed um, going through my notes, Amenra did an acoustic song. Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine that. Oh, it was incredible. Wow. Um, and the biggest complaint that we had that year yeah. was people complaining that it was noisy during our Manra set where people had dropped their plastic cups on the floor. <laughs> so if somebody walked across the room, it was just this swishing noise. And like, it was one of those, it was a pin drop sort of thing. Like, like I was saying about Bell right. Witch, it was silent in there. It was incredible. And, um, people were just like, except for the plastic cups. I'm like, who do you think dropped the plastic cups? It wasn't me. You're <laughs> dropping the cups. And, but yeah, um, yeah, Armin Ra did an acoustic set. That was incredible. But yeah, Armin Ra, like, you know, will they be headlining next year or the year after? Or, you know. The amount of love for that band at that festival, I think. So in yeah. some ways, I think it's, um, it, but I mean, some of the headliners that we have at Roburn, even now, are not headliners at other festivals. Um, or... I think sometimes we have bands playing the main stage that would never play to 3000 people anywhere else, Yeah. but they fit. And it's, again, it's about the context. So um, it's not saying that they don't deserve to be there and, yeah. or anything like that is saying that actually that makes sense for this festival. So that's where they go. And yeah, we have had bands that have um, played, played at Roburn several times over the years and each time they play in different places and they are kind of making their way up. So um I think it's quite an exciting problem to have. It's not quite the same same situation as something like download. I, I think it is very different because I think the primary, primary, I've said the primary in a very weird way there. Primary. Uh, primary problem um, that download have is um, their headliners have to be so big. Yeah. Um, and the industry is not there to support that anymore once made in Metallica, blah, blah, blah. Go. This is a conversation that's been had a billion times. But... Um, you know, I, I wonder about getting your take on whether you think the smaller, they're kind of called boutique festivals for some reason in the um, industry, if those will have more of a dominance maybe as a result of that, what do you, do you think about that or do you envisage that or how do you feel? Or do you not even think about it? I think Robin, um I mean, it's really small compared to yeah. something like Download. Um, we have about 4,000 people a day yeah. at um, Roadburn. And um, several years ago, Roadburn used to sell out on the day that tickets go on sale. Mm. I think the quickest it ever sold out was in within seven minutes. Uh, that hasn't happened while I've been working for them, which is pure coincidence. <laughs> um, but... Um, <laughs> oh, Becky's going to be this, uh, this year. Um, <laughs> leave it out. Um <laughs> But we don't take for granted that, we can't take for granted that we will ever sell out because that's when you start making mistakes, I think, that if you become so overconfident. Like 4,000 tickets compared to download is nothing. Like, But to us, like it matters. Like, And we, of course we need to sell the tickets for the festival to work, but we don't take for granted that people are going to choose our festival over any other festival. Mm. Um, mm. And we're quite respectful of the people that come and we don't do any of the hyperbole about, oh, only 200 tickets left when mm -hmm. there's still 2000. Mm -hmm. We're kind of quite upfront about it. Um, we don't say tickets are nearly sold out unless they really are nearly sold out. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, we have no idea how many tickets are gonna sell when they go on sale on Thursday. Like 
a lot of people buy them on the first day. It could sell out on Thursday. It equally could sell out in three months time or two weeks before the festival. But um, I think the pressure is so different like um, to a big festival. But I think people get a completely different experience at Roadburn. So I think there are probably some people who come to Roadburn who also love going to festivals like Download or Hellfest. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. It's a different environment. It's a different festival. It's almost like there is almost no point comparing them. Like No, get, I agree. I agree. Um, so I, I don't think they're it's necessarily one or the other i would suggest that if you've never been to a festival like roadburn that you do like whether it's roadburn or whether it is just a smaller one like you say like 2000 trees or Arctangent, something that's is sort of a bit, bit more intimate it's a completely different vibe mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. um there's that word again oh god damn <laughs> um it's a different vibe to something big like hellfest or yeah um download and i don't know i i obviously am biased and i think roadburn is very distinctive and is really special but i mean i thought that before i worked for them as well yes yeah, yeah, yeah um exactly. i sometimes do have to remind walter of that out of the two of us i'm the only one that's attended roadburn yeah yeah, uh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah so but uh yeah i think it's a lot of it comes down to our approach to the artists and approach to the ba- uh, the people that attend it's yeah. like we want everybody to have a good time it's yeah. like we're music fans and so are they so i think that smallness allows you to do really cool things one thing that has just occurred to me that we've not even talked about is the weirdo canyon dispatch oh, yeah um so I, I was so floored by this um uh, when i first went so basically a f- uh, a zine yeah. is made every day and there are literally journalists who are commissioned to do it um and basically they review the shows uh and and this little zine called the weird canyon dispatch comes yeah. out the next day yeah. and, it, and it is like a zine it's printed in like black and white and it looks kind of yeah um oh what uh, I, I want a nice word for amateurish but i need i mean that in a nice way you yeah. know it's it's, it, it, it's thrown together so this year we went fancy and a, really? co- a copy shop printed them wow whereas in previous years so we have jj who runs a website called the obelisk mm. um he's our editor-in-chief mm-hmm. and uh lee who um used to run a website called the sleeping shaman in the uk there are boss mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. uh boss people, boss people um yeah. editors that's the word mm-hmm. um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at the weirdo canyon dispatch and um yes there are various journalists um from all around the world that contribute to it and i've never been asked <sighs> <coughs> um anyway and uh they will review the previous day's festival we have photographers who deliver photos yeah. and it's printed and it used to be that i would have to avoid going into the office in the morning otherwise i'd have to be folding right <laughs> <laughs> oh i've got really important things to be doing i'll catch you guys in a bit um because it was literally folding hundreds of copies of the zine yeah and um yeah it's just given out for free for free yeah um and I think what kind of blew me away about that is I just couldn't imagine uh, like that wouldn't that would never happen on download. They just, or, or I thought you were going to say I couldn't imagine staying up till four a.m. writing the thing. I was going to say that's why you've not been asked. <laughs> 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 no, yeah, at that point I'm far too out of it. But um, but you know I can't. I, they they just wouldn't. I don't think uh, a bigger festival along those lines. I'm not trying to pick on download or reading or anything no, like no. that. But I don't think those bigger festivals would even think to do something like that. It's attention to detail yeah. and, um, yeah. Like again, a lot of that comes down to Walter, um, and his, um, I don't know, even stuff like 
when we have a poster made, I mean, every every band that plays has an individual poster made for them, um, which is something that, you know, most festivals just have a lineup poster. Yeah. But we, oh, it takes hours of work for each yeah. announcement. Like every band has a proper write-up. We don't just use the bio that's provided for them. We have mm-hmm. um, professional journalists that do the write-ups or, or me sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry to those bands. Um, <laughs> uh do the write-ups and they all have an individual poster made like that extra we always go the extra mile where we can because it's about like we wouldn't book the band if we didn't think that they deserve to deserve the attention Mm. and that we want to celebrate them and what they can do and what they're bringing to the festival like every band that plays is an important part of roeburn and um yeah sometimes we have bands that like play the cul-de-sac who or or even like a bigger venue than that that I don't see and I don't get to see that many bands during the festival to mm, be honest because mm. I'm so busy but that sometimes I don't hear that much about them but then you'll meet one person who's like that was the band of the festival like that was everything to me like that was and they're so passionate about it and every person that comes has a different experience and even if you went to see the exact same bands as somebody else at the festival you have a different interpretation of it and you have a different perception of what the festival means and how it how it all comes together for you and um yeah so every single band that plays deserves that attention otherwise we wouldn't be booking them yeah um we don't really book bands because they're there you Mm. know Mm. like it's we it's all carefully thought out it's hours and hours of work and it's it's passion and attention to detail that make that happen i think yeah so five finger death punch for next year then hooray <laughs> <laughs> who would you like to see play that's never played um, you can't have amara acoustic we've had that so um, tough. oh god you put me on the spot um well my answer was always cave-in like i've right. always wanted cave-in to play when I think it must have been when Stephen Brodsky was there with Converge. I did corner him backstage and I was, I might have had a drink because I was basically <laughs> demanding he tell me what his favourite Cave-In album was and I wouldn't settle until he said Antenna. It wasn't his favourite one. Yeah, I love Antenna as well. But um, And then I was like, so are you going to play with Cave-In next year then? And he was <laughs> like, okay. And I think he probably agreed to make me leave him alone. But um, it took a couple more years, but I've always wanted Cave-In to play. Um, Do you know what? Along, along those lines... Um, uh, and I hope you would agree it would work. And obviously they're not a band anymore, but I'd love to see Botch at Roadburn. Yeah, they appear on a lot of wish lists. Yeah. That would be incredible. I think Botch would be amazing. Again, I'm not sure if this would work. And again, they're technically not around at the moment, but the, do you remember the Blood Brothers? Yeah. I'd be so interested in the Blood Brothers doing I it, maybe. I think the chances of somebody like botch playing a lot of that i think would come down to it being via a curator because part of the magic of having a curator is that they have different connections to us and they have different relationships with people and so that's why you can get some of these yeah like i I have no doubt there are bands that have played as part of a curation that we wouldn't have been able to get or if we did get them it would take a lot longer to get um but there's some that's part of the part of the nice thing about a curation is that it's an artist asking another artist to participate in a creative endeavor Mm. um and although we approach it with creativity and artistry it's still we're still a festival saying would you like to play our festival Mm. it's Mm. something Mm. different to um an artist saying would you like to be part of this thing this Mm. creative thing that i'm doing so i think if we ever got botched it would more likely be that yeah 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 i can imagine um 
Um, I would love to see Neurosis fronted by Chelsea Wolf. Fronted by <laughs> ditch them other guys. Like. No, I just <clears throat> I just want to see uh, Chelsea Wolf doing Neurosis songs. Like if you can make that work, that'd be All amazing. Right, leave it with me. So. <laughs> see what I can well, do. you asked. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, finally, I'll just uh, ask um, kind of almost a question that is all, almost always asked in these kind of interviews in terms of like, where do you envisage and want Roadburn to to be in the future in five years time? What would you, you know, obviously without giving anything major away, uh, what would what would you like it to be in five years or 10 years? You want it to be you want it to be download, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I would say one thing that we actually, well, speaking for myself personally, I don't really want it to get that much bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't think anyone else does. I don't think anyone uh, who attends When we had the, the Cooper Hall this year, um, some people thought that we'd increase the capacity because technically the capacity of the ve- the venues in total were increased. We could have had more people. I think we sold an extra 80 tickets um, because we weren't sure how it would work like the flow of people and Mm. stuff like Mm -hmm. that so we didn't really increase the capacity um because also keeping it comfortable is really important um so i i kind of that's not to say that it won't grow but i don't think roadburn's ever going to be a twenty thousand or thirty thousand capacity festival um but i think what we would be aiming for in the next sort of five years is essentially a continuation of what we have now and instead of growing the festival capacity wise it's about growing it in terms of developing the art side of it the Mm -hmm. bands um that play um being able to do something that they want to do being creative um i would personally like to have more um focus on some of the side program parts and the art um and just sort of making it a more comfortable experience for everybody that's there that it's not going to become like a luxury festival, mm-hmm. um, but it's going to be, you know, something that is, it feels like a holiday. It feels like something that you're looking forward to that you're, I mean, one of the nicest things that like, if you've never been and you're listening to this and you're just going, what is she on about? <laughs> this is just going to cement it that, uh, you know, it's nonsense. But one thing that people say frequently about Roeburn is that it feels like they're coming home every year Yeah, because yeah, they yeah, see yeah. people that they haven't seen. They don't, they only see them once a year. Tilburg is a small town. It's very welcoming and the festival is just so friendly and you get to see these amazing bands at the same time and it feels like coming home. Yeah. And I don't think we want to lose that no matter what. So whatever direction things go in or however we expand, if we expand, that bit can't be lost. Yeah. That's sort of at the core of it. So, yeah. So, Roadburn, uh, tickets for Roadburn Festival 2019 will be on sale by the time this goes out, I'm yeah. sure. Um, and uh, when when is it next year? The 11th to the 14th of April 2019. Correct. Well done. Very well. Uh, very good. And so, it's, it looks like it's going to be an absolutely amazing edition once it's again. It's going to be, definitely. So, well done. Am I invited this year? You might let you write something in the Weirdo Canyon Dispatch, maybe. <laughs> we'll think about it. We'll All think right. about it. Becky, thank you very much for joining thank us. Thank you for having me.